the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Factors not available. The following program is sponsored by Note Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy continues our study in Ecclesiastes. When J.D. Rockefeller died, a man asked a close friend of him how much did he leave. The friend said he left it all. Jesus warned us, Disney, don't lay up your treasures on earth because you're going to leave them all. Treasure up in heaven. Deposit in God's bank through faith in Jesus Christ. Most people try to avoid talking about death. Deep down, we all know there's no escaping the end of life, but we'd rather dodge the subject altogether. Yet having a biblical perspective on death can actually teach us a great deal about how to live. That's our topic today on Know the Truth with pastor and Bible teacher Philip DeCourcy. We're returning to the book of Ecclesiastes to examine how King Solomon balanced the meaning of life with the reality of death. Here's Philip now with a message titled, Certain Death. Catherine Hepburn, former famous Hollywood actress who died in 2003, said, Life is hard. After all, it kills you. That's a true statement, isn't it? Life is hard, and it's made all the harder by the suffocating thought and the encroaching threat of death. Our birth, sorry to remind you, comes with a guaranteed death. The Bible tells us even here in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 2, there's a time to be born and there is a time to die. Every birth comes with a guaranteed death. Not long after we arrive on this earth, our eyes are open to the basic fact of our existence that we won't be here for very long. Research tells us that the average lifespan is less than 30,000 days. And if you factor sleep into that, That removes a third of that time, leaving us 20,000 days if we're fortunate enough to live that long. Try as we might, we cannot, nor should we, run from the reality of our mortality. It is to be faced, and it will be faced, and we do face it in the failure of a classmate to return after summer recess, in the face of a passing funeral cortege at the road junction we're sitting at. We face it every day in the obituary page of the local newspaper. It is appointed unto man once to die. We enter this world with death's noose tied around our neck, and it tightens each and every passing day, and ignoring that fact doesn't change that fact. Now, coming to terms with our mortality... Although a necessary thing is not an easy thing. 
And while the psalmist tells us to number our days that we might live wisely, we find it a painful experience to sit down and contemplate the sands of time pouring quickly and irreversibly through the hourglass of our life. We don't want to die. In fact, God has put eternity in our hearts. That's why we don't want to die. We desire and long for permanence, but we will die. And although we don't want to die, and we don't want to hear about death, it is nevertheless part of life. And if we come back into this passage here in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon can identify with these feelings. Solomon also is up against these facts. That one event happens to us all. Verse 14. In his quest for the best, Solomon cannot get around the stubborn and suffocating fact of his own demise. As he looks at life, one thing stirs him in the face, and that is the prospect of death. It casts a shadow over everything a man does, raising the question, what is the profit to life if we all have to pay the debt of death? That's where we are in this passage. King Solomon is deeply impressed and deeply depressed at the thought that life is really a fruitless banging of one's head against the wall of your impending demise and death. If I might put it like this, what we're dealing with here in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 12 following is that the finality of death just adds to the futility of life. Okay? In fact, if I was to try and uh, picture this, our lives are like children building sandcastles at the beach. And there you are doing your masterpiece, you know, and you spend hours on it. And when you're done... You know, mom and dad may take a picture of it. You head home. But that whole time, you've got your back to the incoming tide that's about to sweep away your masterpiece, leaving no trace of the fact the next morning that you were there the day before. Life's like that. That troubles Solomon. And so he begins to look at this issue, and he raises this idea that you're not ready to live until you're ready to die? How can you enjoy life with the Damocles sword of death hanging over your head? Now, there's three things I want us to see. You should have them in your outline. As we work through the text, verses 12 through 15, we've got what I call death's fraternity. The language of verse 12 points to the fact that Solomon is taking stock of his search and his research thus far, especially as it relates to wisdom and folly. He's reintroducing the idea of wisdom, which he addressed earlier in the book. And he had concluded that wisdom wasn't the silver bullet. Wisdom doesn't answer all the questions. Wisdom doesn't straighten out the crooked things of life. And so while he has concluded that wisdom doesn't hold all the answers, he does come back to tell us, I do want you to be mindful of this, but it is useful, okay? It's not to be considered useless. Look at verse 13. Then I saw that wisdom excels folly, as light excels darkness. Verse 14, the wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness, yet I myself perceived that the same event happens to them all. Solomon wants us to be mindful of the fact that wisdom has a relative value. It's not the ultimate answer, but it has relative value. And he wants us to know that wisdom's better than folly, just as light excels darkness. He's saying, look, 
You know, if you look at the traditional values and virtues of Israel, working hard, keeping yourself sexually pure, watching your words, respecting your neighbor, managing your time, planning, all of those things will help you get ahead in life to some degree. No doubt about it. In fact, his image is this. It puts eyes in your head. If I might put it like this, wisdom offers us a set of headlights for the road of life. Okay? So that's what he's making clear here. In one sense, look, earlier I trashed wisdom as the ultimate answer. It's not. But it has relative value. It does. It gives you a set of headlights for the road of life. But here's the issue. As he says that, he says another thing. But I perceived, along with perceiving that wisdom's better than folly, I also perceived this, that one event happens to all. His point is, look, the wise man's better off than the foolish man. But one event happens to the wise man and the foolish man, which raises the question, what advantage does the wise man have over the foolish man? In the big picture, none, because one event happens to them all. Wisdom is helpful, better than folly, but it's only limited and relative in its value because it has no answer to death. And that's frustrating. That's another thing that gets under his skin about life, bothers him about daily existence. This thought keeps Solomon up at night, that the wise man may have a leg up on the fool, but it means diddly squat in the presence of death. Wisdom may help a man get ahead in life, but that man can no more outrun death than the fool. And so wisdom's advantage is limited It cannot prevent death. So the rich die, the poor die, the young die, the old die, and the wise die, and the foolish die. One event happens to them all. So what's the purpose of being wise? Good question, Solomon. And he actually asks it. But I just want us to hold on to that thought. Death's fraternity. Everybody will eventually be in the company of death. The rich, the poor, the young, the old, the wise, the foolish. Dr. MacArthur told us one day that one of the last times he saw his beloved mentor and teacher, Dr. Charles Feinberg, was as that man was dying and being promoted to heaven. But what struck Dr. MacArthur was he could hardly remember his name. And if you don't know who Dr. Charles Feinberg is, he was one of the best linguists of his day. He taught at Talbot School of Theology. Dr. MacArthur held him in the highest regard. He belonged to the theological intelligentsia of his day. He was a Hebrew scholar, but he died like the fool. He died almost sounding like a fool. This brilliant man reduced to hardly remembering his name, mumbling, babbling. And it disturbed Dr. MacArthur as he looked upon the form of a man he had once admired and still admires to this day. And you'll hear him mentioning him many times in his sermons. But this one event happens to us all. The brilliant and the buffoon, they die alike. That's one of the facts of life. One of the disturbing, stubborn facts of life. It'll take the joy away from living if you think about it for too long. Certainly did for Solomon. Here's one other thought before we move on. I do think you and I need to be reminded of this fact. Death is no respecter of persons. It's coming for each one of you and for me. Aren't you so glad you came today? (laughs) But this is the fact. One event happens to us all. 
to the wise, to the unwise. Death is no respecter of persons. And this bothered Solomon. Are you telling me, you know what, when I live righteously and do this and do that, it doesn't make a difference in the end. I die like the fool. Death isn't discriminating. No, it's not. It's indiscriminate. It's unavoidable. It's imposing. The Nobel Peace Prize winner will meet the same fate as the man who can't spell his name. There are no breaks for good behavior and wise living when it comes to dying. The first person to die was not sinful Adam or murderous Cain. It was righteous Abel. Now look at how death is described. The same event happens to them all. The end of verse 14. It's a Hebrew word that means to befall us all. It actually means to overtake us all. Interesting picture. Solomon is saying this, that that life is a race and death is a runner. And someday that runner in this race will overtake us all. Now when you start the race, when you're young, that runner is at the back of the pack. He's so far over your shoulder, you hardly give him a thought, right? And that's the way it should be when you're young. Your whole life's ahead of you. You seem like you're, gonna, you're invincible. You're immortal. That's the way we live life. And that runner's so far back. There's no sign of him ever catching us. You get the middle life. You look over your shoulder. Boy, he's in the middle of the pack. And so you decide, you know what? I'm going to take better care of myself. I'm going to watch the old ticker. I'm going to eat a bit better. I'm going to exercise a bit more. Decade or two on, you look over your shoulder, and that runner is only a couple of runners back. And he's overtaking your friends. They're falling like flies. This runner overtakes us all. The wise and the unwise. And that bothers Solomon as he talks about death's fraternity. Then he talks about death's finality. You know, hang in there, we'll get to something positive. But in verse 16, he talks about death's finality. For there is no more remembrance of the wise than the fool forever, since all that now is will be forgotten in the days to come. And how does a wise man die as the fool? Solomon further contemplates the indiscriminate nature of death. And perhaps he thinks to himself, you know what, we may die, but our reputations live on. So he begins to get a little bit more happy again. He says, hey, You know, the fool dies. Who wants to remember him? He did nothing. He contributed nothing. He probably, you know, took more than he ever gave. But the wise man, he's probably left a half-decent family behind him, maybe a growing business. He's well-respected in the community. They'll remember him as a good, upstanding citizen, a benchmark for civil behavior. Yeah, that's a good thought, Solomon. Now, what about life? Is that the way it works out? His comfort becomes discomfort. Because while he realizes the wise die and the foolish die, he thinks the legacies will be different. The remembrance will be different, but it's not. And that bothers him too. Because the wise has no more remembrance than the fool. The cold hard facts of life is that the wise are no more remembered than the foolish. We, we saw this in chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. We're told in verse 4 also, the one generation comes, another generation goes. There's no remembrance of the former things by those who come after them. And so as Daniel Estes in his book, the Handbook of Wisdom Literature says, death marks not only the cessation of life, but the dissolution of memory. And that's disturbing. Death's cold hand erases the memory of the fool, but it also rubs out the memory of the wise. So what's the point? 
And remember, that's Solomon's whole question. What's the point? What does man gain from all his labor? There's got to be something more to, to life than living it. But he's hung up on this question. He says, I live my life. All I've got to look forward to is death. Like the fool, I'll die also, and I'll be no better off in terms of being remembered and memorialized and eulogized. Now, Solomon has fared a little bit better than most, hasn't he? We still tend to remember him. Jesus did. Remember Jesus talked about anxiety and worry? What did he say? Solomon in all his glory. He fares better than most, but most become a footnote in history. Some names and actions do live on, but for the most of us, we will be led to rest in a tomb called anonymity. And if we're lucky, a loved one will come and mark our headstone with fresh flowers every so often. But it's but a small thing to the noise of the traffic just outside the cemetery that tells you life goes on and your name becomes a footnote and your memory fades into the distance. If you revisit my study at home, and I have many things in it, I just recently got a poster framed that my brother had given me. It's entitled, Our Murdered Colleagues. Some of you know that I spent some time in the Royal Ulster Constabulary in Northern Ireland fighting the Irish Republican Army who were just trying to destroy the democracy of Northern Ireland and a force against the will of a majority of people, Northern Ireland out of the United Kingdom. The REC lost over 300 officers, and now on my wall I have a picture of every single officer that was killed. 300 of them are murdered colleagues. My girls think it's morbid, but I'm not about to forget them because I feel my country has forgot them. The peace agreement now has the very people we tried to stop in government, and those men lie in cold graves forgotten. But I'm not going to forget them. I want to be remembered every day of their sacrifice, thankful for it, and thankful to God that I didn't have to make that ultimate sacrifice. They did. But I think I'm spitting into the wind, so to speak. I'm running up against the traffic, so to speak. History moves on. And names become footnotes and memories a fading memory. And that's disturbing. Lives that were once so virile and visible and vital... They're gone, and the wise die alongside the fool, and there is no remembrance of them. Solomon's perspective adds to the futility he feels about life. He says this, you can live right, labor hard, but you'll die like the fool and be forgotten alongside him. What about death's futility? Given the reality and the results of death, Solomon found life a rather dismal prospect. He, he now comes to hate life. He's really struggling. Don't you see it here in verse 17? I hated life because of these realities. It was distressing to me. It's all empty. It's a chasing of the wind. What's the point? Why get up in the morning? Why build your kingdom when death will rip it from your hand and you don't know if your kingdom will fall into the hands of a fool? What's the point of being wise? The foolish in the end are not much worse off than I am or better off so to speak. That's really troubling him. Verse 23, it brings sorrow to his days, keeps him up at night where his heart has no rest. Solomon is appalled at life in the face of death. There's two other things that disturb him about death, fraternity, finality, futility. One, the reality of leaving everything, and two, the risk of leaving everything. Solomon has kept his nose to the grinder, 
He made something of his life. He certainly made something of his kingdom. We know that his kingdom was the high water mark of Israel's history. But then there's this disturbing thought that he will leave it all behind. Look at verse 18. Then I hated all my labor in which I toiled under the sun because here's the reason I've, I've kind of lost my vim for life because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. Verse 20, therefore I turned my heart and despaired of all my labor in which I toiled under the sun for there is a man whose labor is with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, yet he must leave his heritage to a man who has not labored for it. You're going to have to leave everything. That's what Solomon says, I am. And I'm not comfortable with that thought. You're going to leave your house, your car, the clothes, all the things you touch, smell, taste on a given day. Someday we're going to leave it all. And worst of all, we'll leave those we love and those who love us. That's life. Someday we're going to leave it all. That's why, just as a footnote to that, you and I mustn't become too attached to this world or the things of this world. Jesus warned us, Disney, don't lay up your treasures on earth because you're going to leave them all. And when you're alive, there's every chance you can lose it all. Treasure up in heaven. Deposit in God's bank through faith in Jesus Christ. The bare bottom reality is that naked we came from our mother's womb and naked we shall return. Job 1 verse 21, Paul put it like this in 1 Timothy 6 verse 7, we come into this world with nothing. Did you come into this world with a suitcase full of clothes? With a car waiting outside the hospital? With an endowment for your college education already in the bank? No. You come into this world with nothing. And even after you have a car and gone through college and you've acquired a house and raised a family, you'll leave this world, materially speaking, with what? Nothing. That's a sobering thought. That's why you've got to hold on to things loosely and hold on to God tightly. When J.D. Rockefeller died, a man asked a close friend of him how much did he leave. The friend said he left it all. Remember that when you sit in your leather seats in your Mercedes Benz. You'll leave it all. Nothing wrong with those things. You can admire the engineering, the soft ride, the blessing. But at the end of the day, it's a tin box. And you're going to be put into a wooden box. And what's the difference? And are you making a difference? Are you treasuring up in heaven? An important question for us all here on Know the Truth. You're listening to Philip DeCourcy with a message titled Certain Death. It's from our Quest for the Best series that surveys the wisdom of Ecclesiastes. We only have time to hear a portion of Philip's messages on these broadcasts, but we'll pick up right where we left off in our study next time. You can also hear the complete uninterrupted message by requesting a CD copy. Online, go to ktt.org or call us at 888-644-8811. Today's message on the subject of death makes us realize how important this life really is. And this month, we'd like to recommend a book that reminds you why everything matters. Author Philip Ryken is taking the flip side of Ecclesiastes and framing his commentary around the gospel pictured in this ancient book of wisdom. You'll be inspired to live your life more radically for Jesus Christ, who brings meaning to even the most mundane moments. Request Why Everything Matters when you make a generous donation of $20 or more. Give online at ktt.org 
or call 888-644-8811. Better yet, make your gift an automatic monthly donation. We'd love to welcome you to our team of Truth Ambassadors. It's easy to sign up online at ktt.org. And if you're new to Know the Truth, on behalf of Pastor Philip, let me say welcome. It's Philip DeCourcy's mission to provide bold and convicting Bible teaching that aligns your life with God's heart. And that's not all. To help you in your daily walk of faith, Philip would like to send you one of his most popular messages from this current series. It's called Chasing Pretty Bubbles. And it's yours for the asking when you call 888-644-8811. Learn how to pursue a life that counts for eternity. That's all our time for today. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. Come back tomorrow for another message in our Quest for the Best series. That's Thursday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. The first time you use Mute can be quite an experience. (laughs) I can breathe. I can breathe. Snoring can happen when your nose is blocked, forcing you to breathe through your mouth. Mute is a comfortable nasal breathing device designed to increase airflow through the nose by gently opening the airways. (laughs) Thanks to Mute, you get all the air you need through your nose and not your mouth which means less snoring and more chance of sleep. Oh, that's the best night I've had in years. In trials, 75% of couples reported a reduction in snoring when using Mute. Available at Walgreens, CVS, Rite Aid and other fine stores. To find your local store or for more information, go to MuteSnoring.com. Mute. Breathe more. Snore less. Sleep better. Hey there, I'm... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.